Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. So to start this new year, I thought it would be good to start with a prayer. After the last couple years that we've been through, it wouldn't hurt to pray for a better new year. And I can't think of a better psalm perfectly suited for this than Psalm 90 because of its words and because of who wrote it. And so, Lord, I just want to ask that you would uh, bring to our hearts and into our lives the words from this psalm written so long ago but so relevant today. Open our ears and our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm for the New Year. Well, some people say that uh, a person's death can tell a lot about their life, and we're going to run into death in Psalm 90, as did the author Moses. Uh, He was quite familiar with death. Um, Sometimes that life is reflected on a tombstone, what we were about and what we lived for. There are some tombstones that tell a different tale. If you see this one here, this person uh, says, I knew this would happen. And he was right, or she was right, wasn't wasn't, weren't they? George, yeah, George was right about that. And the other one, I told you I was sick. So what we choose on as an epitaph on our tombstone may tell us about somewhat about how we lived. And I wonder if you've ever thought what you would want as an epitaph on your tombstone. Would it reflect a good life, a happy life, a significant life, a life that had eternal significance, not just the years here on earth? It's a good question to ask, I think, in this new year. Uh, How will you live this year to make an eternal difference? How will you live this year? Wouldn't it always great to have a fresh start? Well, we've got a fresh start now on a new year. How are we going to live it? Many people will live, as they did the last couple years, in maybe their whole lives, with a life of futility. I think it was um, uh, Carl Jung, the psychiatrist, who said most people live a life of quiet desperation. That doesn't sound too happy, does it? Uh, And others have compared life to just rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. That's pretty pessimistic and hopeless view of life, isn't it? So how do we spend the days that we have here in a way that are really significant and make a difference and even an eternal significance? Because life can become really futile feeling anyway. It becomes a drudgery. We, we begin our work week, we wake up early for most of us, some of us, some retired, maybe not true, but we wake up early, we go to work, we follow the same route, we just put our tires in the rut and we get there and, uh, and then we take our, regu- our usual lunch break, we ate the same sandwich, we eat at the same place, we go home at night exhausted and then our, our, 
we find out that the sink is leaking, we have to fix it again, even though we fixed it six months ago, and we know it'll leak again in a few months. And, and life just goes on in an endless cycle of futility. Obstacles. An endless cycle of days and nights and weeks and months and even years. So now we have a new year. So what? Well, I think our psalm today, Psalm 90, will tell us how we can approach the new year. It was written by Moses. Now, Moses, as the author, uh, had some things to say about life and death. You remember that as he led the Israelites into the wilderness, he saw many people die because they rebelled against him, at, uh, our God against the K and Kadesh Barnea, and uh, in, in other, many other times, remember when God sent the serpents? Moses saw thousands of people, if not maybe millions, die in that generation that was not allowed to go into the promised land. Funerals for him probably became an everyday event. And he had to remind people of the shortness and the futility of life constantly over and over again. Even Moses himself, because of a bad choice or, that he made, or, and a, maybe a couple other bad choices, but one in particular, when he struck the rock, God told him not to do that. And he was not allowed to enter the promised land. So although he lived a life of great significance and meaning and remains a very main a central heroic figure in Jewish history, he didn't even get to enter the promised land that they had wandered for 40 years to enter. One thing we do notice about Moses is in the accounts that we read in, in, the, in the Pentateuch is that he knew how to pray because there were times when he saw things going crooked and turning the wrong way, and he just got down on his knees and he said, God, don't wipe us out. And he interceded for the people, and he knew how to pray, and God would answer his prayers. And so Psalm 90 really is a prayer. In fact, it begins, as a prayer would, by addressing Yahweh, the Lord. And in the first 10 verses, Moses is reminding us that life is short. And he uses these words. He says, Lord, Yahweh, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, forever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's always good, I think, when we pray, not to remind God of who he is, but to remind ourselves of who he is. He is the God who was here before the mountains. He's the God who will be here from in eternity present just as much. He is forever and always. He is the dwelling place, Moses knew, of the, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the mountains, of course, represent great power and great strength that he created. In fact, he created the whole world, and he made it good, and he made it fruitful until sin entered in the picture and brought futility and death. So from the remotest past to the remotest future, Moses is giving God the recognition that he deserves as the creator and the eternal God. Now, with that, we have a dwelling place is the implication. Because life is short, we need something. And mankind is transitory. In, in other words, our lives, we come and go. We come and go. 
How many generations have passed you know, between us and Moses? Who would know? You know, someone has said that you might know, the, you of course know the names of your grandparents, but do you know the names of your great-grandparents? And how many can tell the names of their great-great-grandparents? I can't. That means in four generations, you will be forgotten. Nobody will know your name unless they come across a tombstone or something in a journal or document. How does that make you feel? Important? That's the kind of futility we face in this life. But God decreed that we would die, and it is because, uh, it'll tell us why here, uh, it is because of our sin, essentially. God decreed death, verse 4 or 3, says, you turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. Now that word destruction in the Hebrew language is used and can literally mean pulverized to dust. And it reminds us, of course, of Genesis, I think, 3.19, where it says, from dust you came and from dust you will return. We're just made of dust, my friends. And when we're buried in the ground, we, we return to dust. That doesn't seem to have much eternal significance attached to it. But what he's saying is that death is a certainty. We'll all be pulverized to dust. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed unto man once to die. The death rate in Richardson, Texas, the death rate in Dallas, Texas, is the same as the death rate in Hong Kong, China, or Singapore, or, or Burleson, Texas, where I live. It's one per person. Around the world, the death rate is one per person. It is appointed unto men once to die. No exceptions, no second chances, no reincarnation, if you believe the Bible. So God's perspective on time is reflected here in verse 4. Even though we will die, uh, he, he sees it as uh, our lives as, as, as temporary. For even a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. Now he's saying that a thousand years to God is the same as a day or a thought because to an eternal God, who stretches from the remotest past to the remotest future, time is not a, a big deal to him. He's not confined by it. He lives outside of time. A thousand years is like a day. It's like a memory. Christmas Day is now just a memory for us. It can come and go in five seconds. And that's what life can be like. Or like a watch in the night, which is a four-hour stretch. Four-hour stretch, usually where we would be sleeping. You sleep for four hours and you wake up. I was watching a favorite Christmas movie the other day, and uh, I wanted to watch it with my daughter and her new husband, so we sat down to watch it. I fell asleep, and I woke up, and it was over. And I kept waiting for the, for the scenes to happen. I, they said, no, it's over. I missed the whole thing. We miss a lot of life when we sleep, don't we? But life is like that four-hour watch in the night where, where we're really sound asleep. And then he says in verse 5, you carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep in the morning. They are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up, and in the evening it's cut down and it withers. The transitoriness, the temporariness of man's life. First he uses a comparison to 
being swept away like a flood. Well, we can think of some incidents in recent history, like the tsunami that hit Southeast Asia or Japan, people who are going about their business and all of a sudden they're swept up in a huge wave of water and they're literally washed away, never to be found again. In 2015 in Central Texas, the Blanco River flooded and raised 28 feet in 90 minutes and swept away a house with two families in it. I don't know if you remember that. Only one man in that house survived. They found him 12 miles downriver, but his wife and his six and four-year-old son, sons were swept away in the house, never to be found. At night, that's how unpredictable life can be like a flood that just comes and takes us away, like a drunk driver who crosses the line and life is over. We never know. Now we live in a time where this strange disease has followed us for the last two years. And we've watched friends, young and old, pass on. We don't know who's going to get sick. We don't know when they're going to get sick. We don't know if they're going to recover. But it has reminded us that life can be very unpredictable. Like a day that's gone by, like a flood that comes and goes and, and sweeps things away, like grass that springs up fresh in the morning and the sun rises and then it withers to nothing. Now, as Moses goes on in the psalm, he gives us the reasons for the shortness of life. And here are the reasons, verse 7. There are really two strands to this. One of them has to do with God and the other with us. He says, for you have been consumed. He's talking to God. For I'm sorry, we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We are terrified. Now, why is God angry and why is his wrath poured out upon us? Well, Romans 1.18 says, the wrath of God is being poured out on, the, on unrighteousness and all wickedness of men. That's what Moses says too. He says in verse 8, You have set our iniquities, sins, before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. God knows our sins. Now, I think Moses is speaking not only for himself and his people who were constantly sinning in the wilderness by complaining and and being ungrateful and rebelling, but I think he speaks on behalf of all mankind. The best of us are still sinners. There's none who does good, no, not one in God's sight. None of us measure up to his righteousness. So if we fall short, if we sin, God knows it. And as David said, against you and you only have I sinned. So even though we may hurt someone else, it's still a sin against God. And that brings his anger and his wrath upon the human race. And that wrath is experienced in different ways in natural catastrophes and man-made catastrophes, war, warfare, and diseases and illnesses. All this is the effect of sin and God's wrath upon mankind and the choices that we have made. So Moses knows that, and because of that, uh, he, he says, we are terrified by your wrath. We live in, in, in fear that God will be just and punish us according to our sins unless we experience his mercy. 
And then he talks about secret sins being in the light of his countenance. Well, there's no secret sins before God, is there? Just ask some of the politicians recently if, they have, <laughs> if their sins can remain secret. Ask the Cuomos and the, uh, the Clintons and even the Trumps of the world if they ever thought that the, their sins would one day be on the front pages of the newspapers and on television. There are no secret sins before God. And in verse 9, he says, All our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. A whole generation, a whole generation finishes the year, like I said, after the day after Christmas with a big sigh. I don't know if it's a sigh of exasperation he means here, a sigh of fatigue, a sigh of futility. I think maybe a little bit of all of that. It doesn't sound, seem like it's a positive sigh, like life is over. It's more like, whew, that was rough. Life was tough. It dealt me some hard things. I watched people suffer. I saw people die. I saw relationships fractured and broken. Wow. It's just a brief, momentary, whew, we finish our years like a sigh. And he goes on in verse 10, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength, they are 80 years. This is a familiar saying. I think what he's saying is you can expect to live 70 years normally, but if you're doing good, you have good health, take care of yourself, you can live 80 years. Now, I think we might add 10 years today because of our newer hygiene and, and better living conditions. You know, we're not wandering in the wilderness, uh, getting our food off the ground and dealing with the elements today. So let's say, okay, so if you live 80 years, that's about the expectation. I don't know what the life expectation is, but closer to that. And if you live 90 years, that's good. My mother lived to be almost 96 years old. Take care of yourself. That's the expectation, but that's not that long in God's sight, in the sight of the eternal God. That's just a a brief blip on the screen of history. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Soon cut off. So live 90 years, sounds like a long time, but to Moses he says, it's soon and you will fly away. We will fly away. And all those days of our labor and sorrow, work, of course, is, is not a curse, but it is part of, work can be a blessing, but it is part of what God said we would do. We would have to labor and fight against the elements in the earth to produce a living and to earn an income. We'd have to fight the thistles and the thorns, and, and now we have to fight diseases and, and, uh, and insects and everything else, all part of the package deal as the earth was cursed. And so mankind has to work. We can find blessing in work, the Bible says, but we have to work, and with that work also comes sorrow. Life is full of sorrow, things that happen to us and things that happen to others. Illnesses, conflicts, tragedies, natural disasters, crime, being a victim of crime. And we fly away. Now, it's interesting that Moses doesn't say where we fly to. He just says we fly away. Actually, the Hebrews had a kind of fuzzy view of the afterlife. They didn't have it as defined as the New Testament has revealed to us that we die and we go into the presence of the Lord. They just talked about death as, in the sense of Sheol or the place of the dead. And it wasn't really explicit 
about what that experience was. Well, what is Moses' response to life that can be short and futile and live under the wrath of God that we as a human race deserve? He goes on in verse 11 to pray for a meaningful life. And the first, he's going to pray for three things. And these are going to be the things that we want to remember to pray for this year if we want the wisdom of Moses. In verses 11 and 12, he says, Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So, For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. One translation says, For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. In other words, we ought to be aware of his anger over sin and that we live under that because we live in a cursed world and therefore we should give God deeper reverence and respect as we live out our lives. And then in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's kind of like Moses is saying, here's a conclusion from what I've told you about the eternal God and the transitoriness of our shortness of our lives. So, God, teach us to number our days. Teach us to prioritize our lives, to make the right choices, to spend our time wisely, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And as we, as we learn to schedule ourselves according to your priorities, Lord, give us your wisdom along with that. In the later years of his life, I, I was able to become better acquainted with Dr. Charles Ryrie of Dallas Seminary and a well-known author and theologian. And it was in his 80s, I think he was about 82 at the time, and I was driving him had picked him up at his uh, home and was driving him back after a conference that we had him speak at. And uh, he was saying to me, he says, I, I said, are, are you ever going to retire? He says, I don't understand people that retire. Retirement's not in the Bible. He says, I'm going to keep going as long as the Lord allows me to. In fact, very shortly after that, he went to China, and I think this may have been his last foreign trip. He went to China to dedicate the Ryrie Study Bible in Chinese language at the age of, I think, 82, around there. And when I let him out, I said, how can I pray for you, Dr. Ryrie? He says, pray that I have wisdom to number my days. He knew he had not much life left. He, once, he joked with us that he doesn't even buy green bananas. <laughs> he knew his life was coming to a close. And it did a few years later. He says, pray that I have the wisdom to number my days. And so that's how I prayed for him. And he ended his days well. Well, how do we number our days? I think, first of all, we have to define what is important to us, what is valuable to us, what is, what is urgent. What is urgent is not always what is important. And so we have to learn to distinguish between the urgent and important, and usually the urgent overtakes the important. And we become slaves to what's urgent. We have to get this done, but not what's really important. Can we separate the urgent from the important? Can we set goals 
deadlines, resolutions. Some people like to do that at New Year's. I used to do that all the time. Now I just know what I want to do this year. And can we make the important at the top of the list, not the urgent? Can we schedule our priorities? Somebody said recently, and it stuck with me, they said, don't prioritize your schedule. Schedule your priorities. Think about that. Don't prioritize your schedule. Schedule your priorities. If it's important, put it on the schedule, and you'll have a more meaningful year. Commit it to writing. Commit it to calendar. We have a new year with all the opportunities before us. Where do you want to be at the end of this year? Where do you want to be five years from now, ten years from now, or when your life draws to a close? What do you want to be your epitaph on your tombstone? So pray, first of all, for wisdom. But then a second prayer request comes in verse 13. Pray for compassion. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. Moses understood that God was coming in some way in which he didn't have the New Testament revelation, but he knew that the Messiah, the seed of Abraham, was coming. And in the meantime, Lord, how long? In other words, don't tarry, but have compassion on your servants. Have mercy on your servants. And he says in verse 14, Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy. That word mercy is the Hebrew word chesed, which means uh, covenant, faithful covenant love. He was appealing to God's covenant promises to be faithful to Israel. Satisfy us with that faithful covenant love, mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Because when we rest in God's promise, we can rejoice. We don't have to despair. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. Let us rest in the promise of your chesed, your mercy, your covenant, faithful love. And make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Seen evil and calamity, but Lord, make us glad in these years. Give us a certain degree of joy and happiness. You know that a happy life is not a right that you have. We have no right to be happy. Happiness, joy, is a gift from God. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. In this world of trouble, in this world of mysteries, Ecclesiastes says, to enjoy life is a gift of God. And we need to ask God for that gift, as Moses is doing here. God doesn't promise a smooth life, but he will give us grace for the bumps in life and for the obstacles in life. And that's what he's praying for. He's praying for God's mercy and compassion that he would be faithful to his promises, that he would find significance in his work. And that's the third prayer request. Pray not just for, for wisdom uh, and not just for compassion, but pray for meaningful work. Verse 16 and 17, close the psalm. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. He recognized that God had a program for the world. And, it was, and we know that it is to restore his kingdom and put man where we originally were intended to be as his vice regents or representatives on this earth and the rule over creation in his place. But that power was usurped by Satan. But 
He knows that God is working to restore that rule. So he says, let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, when somebody says something twice, they're trying to get something across. Lord, I don't want to live this life and just turn to dust. Establish the work of my hands. What I seek to do, what I'm pouring my life into. Make it eternally significant. Make my life outlast my years. May my impact go on forever. Now that applies to whatever you're doing, whatever you're studying, whatever you're devoting your time to. Nothing needs to be trivial. Nothing needs to be wasted when we live our lives for God. And when we find him as our dwelling place. If you're doing what God has called you to do, you can find pleasure and purpose in it. It was a shoe salesman that led D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I just watched some of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, like I do every Christmas the other day. And George Bailey thought he was wasting his life in this little savings and loan that his father, you know, left him. And, and he didn't think it mattered to anybody. And he wanted to get out and travel the world, but he was stuck there. But you remember the end of the movie? No man is, what is it? No man is poor who has friends. And then he's toasted as the richest man in town because he helped so many people along the way. He just didn't realize it and didn't think about it at the time, but he helped so many people get into their homes. What he was doing had significance that outlasted his own life. I like that story. Well, what do we learn from the song? First of all, only God can give meaning and significance to life. Only God. I remember being in India one day and, and seeing we were driving through the cities in India and the impression that you get is people everywhere. People on walking everywhere, people on motorcycles, people on bicycles, people in traffic, jams, people, people everywhere. And only 2.6 of them claim to be Christians. And I turned to my friend and I said, where are all these people going? What's going to happen to all these people when they die? His answer shocked me awake. He said, fertilizer. Pulverized into dust. Fertilizer. My friends, you and I don't have to be fertilizer. We can have a life of purpose, a life of significance if we live it for God, if we make his priorities ours, if we spend our lives serving him and not ourselves and not our wants and not our needs, if our goals and our ministry and our purposes align with him, we can outlive our years. We can have eternal impact and significance. Only God can give that kind of life and meaning. That's why the scriptures say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom, the coming kingdom of God where we will live forever. Keep that in mind and live for that kingdom. And then secondly, you can't waste time, only life. 
what this psalm is saying, you can waste your life and die in futility, but you're not really wasting time, you're just wasting your life. That's why I like to get up with the sun, because I feel like the day is passing and I'm just wasting my life if I don't do something productive in daylight hours. So I'm getting to be an old fogey. I go to bed early and try to wake up early. Those are productive times. There's coming a day for Christians where God will ask us at the judgment seat of Christ. He will say, how did you use your life? And we'll be judged according to whether the things that we did, whether good or bad, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10. We have to give an account to him. And then finally, he says, as a conclusion, to have a meaningful life, pray. Or to have a meaningful year, pray for wisdom and compassion and meaningful work. Pray for these three things this year. So 2022 doesn't need to be like 2022 also. We've had a tough couple years. It's maybe caused us to rearrange our lives and our priorities, but let's make 2022 a life of significance by the things that we choose to do. The real tragedy of catastrophes like 9-11 where we see thousands die in seconds or a tsunami where we see hundreds of thousands die in seconds or the pandemic. The real tragedy is not that so many people die. It's that so many people are not prepared to die. My friends, if you were driving home today and a car crosses the line and snuffs out your life, do you know exactly where you will go? Will your life have left a significant footprint on this earth, on people, on families? No matter what you do, whether you're painting walls, fixing pipes, healing people as a doctor, repairing teeth as a dentist, you can have eternal significance in anything that you do. I was reminded of this just recently. Three weeks ago, exactly, I got an email. And the email came through my website, gracelife.org, and she said, I'm just wondering if this is the Charlie Bing that I met in 1978, 43 years ago. You see, 43 years ago, I was not, we were not yet married, but I was trying to make money, and I couldn't find any work to do except to go back to a job that I had done in college because my manager wanted me to do it, and that was selling uh, kitchen products and cookware to young girls, single girls, so that they could get ready for marriage and their parents, with their parents present. So I met with this girl. Her name was Jenny and, and her parents, and I don't think they ever bought anything. I don't really remember. But this was Jenny saying, is this the Charlie Bing I met in 1978 that tried to sell us cookware? I said, I said, yeah, that's me. And so once we established that, she says, I, because what happened was, a couple weeks after I had visited their home, their parents called me and they said, Jenny tried to commit suicide. She's in the psychiatric ward at the hospital. Would you please visit her? Because they knew I was a youth pastor also. Would you please visit her? I said, sure, I'll visit her. I went and I visited her, and I began to share the gospel with her. And she said, oh, just stop right there. I don't believe in God. I don't believe there's a God. And I said, Jenny, 
I don't believe you don't believe there's a God. And I kept on. In fact, I visited her a couple more times, and she still locked me out and treated me rudely. And then I don't know exactly what happened, except that I stopped visiting her and silence for 43 years. I get the email, and I read it, and she says, well, I just want you to know, after your visits in which I treated you so rudely, I kept on reading the Bible, and I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior, and my life completely changed, and my parents came to know Jesus as Savior, and they raised us all, and we found a good church, and they raised us all in the church, and now I'm married, and I have children, and they're all Christians. And I thought I was just selling cookware. But my prayer had been, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, then use it for something besides selling cookware. And he answered that prayer. My friends, what you're doing today can have eternal significance tomorrow. If we understand that our dwelling place is God and his son, Jesus Christ, who came and gave his life for us so that we could be with God forever because our sins only bring God's anger. But Jesus satisfied God's anger by his death on the cross. And then he rose from the dead and offers us the gift of eternal life so that we can be with the eternal God and dwell with him forever if we trust in him and not ourselves for our salvation. Can I close in a word of prayer so that all those in the sound of my voice can know that God loves you that Jesus Christ paid the price to satisfy God's anger against our sin, that you don't have to fear him any longer if you come through Jesus Christ as your Savior. He is alive today, and he says, whoever believes in me has everlasting life. And if you would just say, Lord, I want that everlasting life from the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll give that to you absolutely free. Yes, it's simple. It's that simple. You can't save yourselves by the things you do. You can only trust in what he has done for you. Lord, we do thank you that you are our dwelling place throughout the generations, that you have preserved us and protected us, that you take care of us, you give our lives significance, you give us joy. We don't take it for granted. And we thank you that we can start this year with that prayer on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.